Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Trisha, thank you so much for leading us in that. This week, I, I came home, and Tuesday morning is usually my time with my, my daughter, because my wife's with her all Monday and Monday night, and so Tuesday morning, I try to come in a little bit later, and I was at home, and, and Willow, my daughter, sometimes, she's two, she sometimes tunes in on Monday nights, or the Tuesday mornings, I'll be like playing it back, and she'll, she'll kind of just be listening in, to which I actually didn't think she was listening in, but last week on Tuesday, um, we closed with that song and Latricia and Julius kind of let it out. And Willow's playing over on her little play mat area last Tuesday morning. And all of a sudden I hear her saying some words, but she doesn't say a lot of words right now because she's two years old. And I kind of lean a little bit closer. I didn't want her to know that I was like listening, but I started listening and as I got closer, I could hear that she was saying those words. She was literally saying, that is who you are. And her, her little voice, that is who you are. And it hit me, man, whether you're two years old or 22 or 52, that's truth that gets you through this, this life. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But we can take heart because our Savior Jesus has overcome this world. It's who He is. So I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what fears you're up against. I was supposed to in this moment kind of even, I wanna talk about tomorrow is a big day in our country. And I know even just around tomorrow, a lot of you maybe feel anxiety or fear or worry about what's going to happen. And can I just give you this encouragement? Number one, I encourage you to vote, exercise your right, it matters. But can I say this? Tomorrow, ultimately, we don't have control over who wins on Tuesday, but we know who still reigns on Wednesday. Ultimately, tomorrow, we don't have control over what the outcome is gonna be, but we have total control over who we're gonna be on Wednesday. You get to decide on Wednesday how you're gonna love people. You get to decide on Wednesday how you're gonna treat your neighbor. You get to decide on Wednesday what the story is gonna be. And yes, I'm not trying to minimize the election or say it's not important. I I, I realize it is incredibly important. But what I am wanting to say to you tonight is, 
we have to have more confidence and hope and faith in our savior than in a political party or a person or a candidate. Because ultimately when everything else fades away, when everything in life feels like it's falling apart, we can be confident that there is one who will stand the test of time. There is one name that we can put full confidence, full trust in. He never breaks a single promise. That is who he is. And his name is Jesus. He's good. So Father God, I thank you for this time of worship tonight. I pray that it was pleasing to you. God, I know that for me, for my heart, for a lot of us sitting here in this room, and I know for so many people tuning in, this time of worship was exactly what they needed. It was refreshing. It encouraged our souls. It gave us space to just process, to be reminded of, of truth. And Lord, I just pray that over the next 20 minutes and 52 seconds that we have together or so, I was really specific, but I pray that God, the rest of the time that we have together tonight, that you continue doing what only you can. Not, Lord, I don't know who's tuning in right now, but I know that you have every single person tuning in for a specific purpose and a specific reason tonight. So I ask that my voice would go silent and that your voice would go loud in the hearts of people tuning in. And that tonight, God, you would break through. You'd break through, Lord. Love you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Teal, our fam, love y'all, miss y'all. Um, I'm gonna grab this chair over here for a second, family, so if the camera might not be able to follow me, I'm so sorry. Oh man, that kind of sounded like a um, like thunder or an earthquake or something when I ran. But um, hey, I hope you're doing well tonight and uh, thanks for tuning in and for tuning in so faithfully all throughout this semester, every single Monday night with us. And if you're tuning in for the first time, which I know there's a few of you tuning in for the first time, uh, we're again honored that you're tuning in with us. And uh, again, my name's Matt, if we never met, and I'm excited for tonight because tonight we get to continue on in this series that we've been in called Living the Dream. And we kicked off this series last week and it's a series where we're going through the life of Joseph as told in the book of Genesis. And Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, the very first book of the Old Testament. And if you've ever read the story or heard the story of Joseph, you know that the story of Joseph is a pretty crazy story. Like at times it's pretty unbelievable, like literally hard to believe. And last week we kicked it off by kind of talking about the beginning of Joseph's story that's recorded in Genesis chapter 37. And we talked about how Joseph is, is one of 12. He has 11 brothers um, and he is not the youngest, he's the second youngest, but while he's not the youngest brother, he is absolutely the favorite. And Joseph's father, Jacob, um, he didn't hide this either. Like he made it known that he loved Joseph the most, that Joseph was his favorite child. In fact, he took it so far um, that Jacob gave his son Joseph this, this colorful ornate robe that Joseph would wear. And so obviously Joseph's brothers recognized this. They recognized that Joe was the favorite and um, they were like, man, we don't like this. Like, we don't like you, Joseph. And so they hated him. But then it, it goes on, the story gets a little bit worse. And one night Joseph has these dreams. He has two pretty specific dreams. He's not sure exactly what they mean at the time, but he knows that they're significant. 
And so Joseph decides that he's gonna go out um, the next day when he got a chance and he was gonna go tell his brothers, his 11 brothers about these dreams. So he goes out into the fields and he tells his brothers about these dreams. And he's like, hey, here's what dream number one was. Here's what dream number two was. And essentially both dreams were saying that his 11 brothers were one day going to be bowing down to him. And so obviously his brothers weren't super excited to hear this. Like they're like, Joseph, we already hated you, but now like we can't stand you. And so they, they, they said they couldn't speak a single kind word about him. And so now his brothers are like, look, Joseph has taken it to the next level. Like we gotta do something. We gotta get rid of this guy. Like we can't go on anymore like this. And so uh, a day came where Joseph was sent out into the fields by his father, Jacob, to go check on his brothers. And as Joseph was going out into the fields, his brothers see him coming and they're like, this is our opportunity. This is it. This is perfect. Let's kill him. Let's take him out. And so that was the plan until one of the brothers, Reuben, was like, hey, let's not kill him let's figure out another plan. Let's throw him down into the pit and we'll figure out something else. Like, what do we get if we kill him? And they're like, good point. And so Reuben was like, hey, how about this? How about instead of killing him, our own brother, we just sell him into slavery? So Joseph's brothers were like, that's a pretty good idea. And so they actually sell their brother, Joseph, into slavery to a group of people called the Ishmaelites for $200. They sell their own brother into slavery for $200. And as we talked about last week in part one of this series, that setback in Joseph's life was actually just a setup. The setback was a setup. Because even though Joseph may not have realized it in the moment, God was gonna use this huge setback of being sold into slavery as a setup to prepare Joseph for what God wanted to do in and through him. And we talked about how the same can be true in your life, that every setback you go through in life can actually be a setup because God can use anything, even the worst situation possible to prepare you for whatever it is that he wants to do in and through your life. And so I wanna fast forward the story just a little bit to get us where we need to go tonight. And I'm just gonna kinda catch you up really quick and use my Bible um, as a reference to tell you what happens. So you fast forward and in Genesis chapter 39, um, Joseph eventually gets to Egypt. He's sold to the Ishmaelites, he's sold into slavery. And Joseph finally gets to Egypt and the Ishmaelites sell him to this man named Potiphar. And Potiphar works for Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man in the land. And Potiphar is a official, he's the captain of the guard, it says. And as Joseph was sold to Potiphar, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. In Genesis 39, verse two, we don't have it on the screens, but it says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and Potiphar put him in charge of every single thing in his household. So Joseph now had a ton of responsibility, a ton of authority. And it goes on and it says that Joseph was well-built, probably looked a little bit, maybe something like, I won't go there, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But Joseph was well-built and he was handsome. And so eventually Potiphar's wife starts to recognize Joseph. And she's like, hey, like, let's get together. And so she invites Joseph to come sleep with her. But it says Joseph refuses. But the story goes on and it says that day after day, Potiphar's wife kept trying to come on to Joseph. She kept trying to entice and seduce Joseph to come sleep with her, to come to bed with her. And Joseph time after time after time refused time and time again. So much so to the point that eventually Joseph runs away. Like he runs, he's like, no, I I will not. And so Potiphar's wife gets so upset. She's so embarrassed. She's so angry with the situation with Joseph 
that eventually she frames him and she takes part of his cloak and she goes and she says, Joseph tried to, he tried to come at me. And so obviously Potiphar catches wind of this. He hears this news, he hears this report and Potiphar is angry, he's infuriated. And so Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. And this is where the story picks up tonight in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. Check this out. It says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So we should see a theme starting to kind of arise here in the story and life of Joseph, that everywhere Joseph went, he found favor. Everywhere Joseph went, he found success. And so here Joseph is, is given favor, he's given authority, he's put in charge of, of all the prison. And then a couple days go by, or we're not sure exactly how long go by, goes by, but some time goes by, and eventually Joseph finds out that there's these other two guys the chief uh, cup baker and the chief baker, two guys that I'll explain what that means here in a second, that they're put into prison with Joseph as well. They somehow offended Pharaoh. And so they come into the same prison where Joseph is. And we go on, Genesis chapter 40, just fast forward a little bit. It says, when Joseph came to them, these two guys, the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, with them in, in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So these two guys, one who is the chief cupbearer, that means that job would have been, he would have been the one that would go to Pharaoh and before Pharaoh would take a drink of anything he was drinking, the cupbearer would take a drink first to make sure it wasn't poison. Sounds like a real dream job, right? Like that's the job everyone wants. Like, let me just test to make sure it's not poison. And if it is poison, then you'll have to hire a new cupbearer, I guess, I don't know. And then there's the chief baker. That's the guy that obviously is the chief baker. He like, he cooks the food. And so these two guys are like, Joseph, we're, we're upset because we've, had these dreams, but no one can interpret them. And Joseph was like, hey, good news. I think I can. And so Joseph goes and the cupbearer tells him his dream first. And Joseph's like, hey, here's what your dream means. Within the next three days, Pharaoh is gonna restore you back to your position. You're gonna be good. You're gonna be out of here in no time and you're gonna be right back to where you were. So obviously the cupbearer is pretty excited about that. And Joseph goes on, Genesis 40, verse 14. This is his response. He says, Hey, listen, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even when I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph's like, hey, listen, here's all I ask of you, cupbearer. Like when this happens for you, when you're out of here in three days, I want you to tell Pharaoh my name. Like, just tell him about me, just a quick mention so that I can get out of here because I did nothing to deserve actually being here. And the cupbearer probably was like, cool, man. Like, I got you, don't worry about it. If that happens, like, we'll be good, Joseph. You're my guy. Well, then the chief baker comes and he's like, hey, can you tell me what my dream meant? Like, come on, like, give it to me. And then Joseph listens to the chief baker's dream and he's like, hey, uh, I'm so sorry, but... Uh, this is what your dream means. Within the next three days, Pharaoh is, is, is gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be executed. 
it's not gonna go well. And, and I don't know exactly how that moment went down or how it felt to be in that room, but I would imagine it was like pretty awkward, you know? Like the cupbearer is over here and he's like, yo, Joseph, you're my, like, I love you, man. And then you got the baker and the baker's like, Joseph, what, like what? Come on, like you, did you have to tell me it like that? Like what in the, like this had to be a pretty awkward next 72 hours, right? Like they're both sitting in the room, all three together. And they're just like, you good, man? The guy's cupbearer's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait. And then the baker's like, no, I'm not good. Like I'm gonna die. What in the world? So we go on, this is what happens, verse, verse 20. It says, now the third day came, so three days go by, and the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. So Pharaoh has a birthday, and Pharaoh's like, yo, I'm in charge, like I'm the man, we're about to turn up. So Pharaoh's like, it's gonna get crazy. And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again would be put could put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So the dreams pan out just like Joseph said, but the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph. Like he doesn't say a single word. He totally forgets about him. So much so that Joseph is actually in the prison for another two years. Joseph finds himself in a season of waiting. And I know maybe two years may not seem like a super long time to you. Like maybe you're like, oh, just two years. Like you can get through that, you know? But two years when you don't know where the end is, when the end's not in sight, when you don't know how long it's going to be, two years can feel like a really, really, really long time. So you can imagine Joseph is just sitting in that prison thinking, I'm never going to get out of here. Joseph finds himself in a season of waiting. And here's what I know to be true, is that all of us at some point or another will find ourselves in a season of waiting. Maybe you find yourself in a season of waiting right now, but if you're not in a season of waiting right now, you one day will be. And we live in a culture that does everything possible to make sure we don't have to wait, right? Like it's why there's DVR so that you can record your TV show. You don't have to ever sit through any commercials. It's why Starbucks has like mobile orders. So you can come in, you don't even have to go through the drive through line. You just walk in right away and you pick up your cup. You know, you pick up your PSL, your pumpkin spice latte. I don't drink those, I, I'm, I'm, I love PSLs, I'm kidding. But you pick it up, like we don't wait for anything anymore. Amazon Prime, like it, things can come to you the very next day. We don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. We haven't been conditioned to wait well. As a matter of fact, some of you are so sick and tired of waiting. Like some of you are like, Matt, honestly, I'm just done waiting, bro. Like I'm done waiting to graduate. Like I'm over it. I just wanna be done with school. Some of you are like, I, I, I just, I'm done waiting trying to figure out my future. I wish I could just know what, where I'm gonna be, like where I'm gonna live what my job's gonna be. Some of you are so done working at the job you've been working at. You're like, I'm not making any money. I'm not getting any respect. Like no one treats me well. I don't wanna work these terrible shifts anymore, these terrible hours. I don't wanna do it, I'm over it. Some of you are just tired of waiting for your parents to try to figure it out. And you're like, I wish they could just get along and figure it out because I'm tired of going home on 
Thanksgiving and Christmas break and summer break and having to be in the middle of all this. Some of you are tired of being single. You're done waiting. You, you don't wanna be single anymore. Like I'm over it. And waiting can cause us to feel super frustrated, can cause us to feel anxious and worried. It can cause us to feel discouraged. Like waiting is, is not what we want in life, right? Like you and I, when we find ourselves in season of waiting, generally we're not like, this is awesome. No, we're like, no, I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm over this. I don't wanna wait any longer. It feels like I've been waiting forever. And so here's the question I wanna lean into in the final few minutes that we have together tonight. What do you do when you find yourself in a season of waiting? What do you do when you find yourself in a season of waiting? Not if you find yourself in a season of waiting, because at some point in your life, you are going to find yourself in a season of waiting. So what do you do? Do you just accept it and say, man, this is just how life is gonna be. I'm just gonna be frustrated. I'm gonna be anxious. I'm gonna be discouraged. Like, I guess I just gotta get through it. What is it that you do when you find yourself in a season of waiting? And I just wanna suggest to you tonight two things. I think there's two things that you and I have to do when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, if we want to wait well and if we wanna make the most of it. I think the things we need to do when we find ourselves in in a season of waiting is this. We need to worship and work in the waiting. Worship and work in the waiting. And when I say worship, I, I don't just mean singing songs. Like, yes, that's an aspect of worship. But worship is a whole lot more than that. I'm talking about the actual true sense of the word, which is giving yourself in service to God, laying down your entire life as an act of worship to God, to say, God, I am laying down my own desires and I'm following yours. Every part of my life is a a response to you. Every part of my life is worship to you. Worship and work. And I don't just mean work like with your hands, like, yeah, that's a part of it. Like, Be the best student you can be. Be the best waiter or waitress that you can be. Like, do your best in every area of life, but also work on yourself. Like, work on your character. Work on your integrity. Work on the things that you're struggling with. Allow God to to work in you in the season that you're in. I want you to worship and work in the waiting, worship and work in the waiting. Joseph worshiped and he worked. Joseph didn't grow bitter. He he never lost faith that God was with him. Joseph, when he was back in Potiphar's house, the main reason that he didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife, it wasn't because he didn't think she was attractive. No, I'm sure he thought she was very attractive. Joseph said, why would I sin against God? That was his response. He's like, why why in the world would I ever sin against God? I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna be faithful to God. When Joseph was in the prison, he he was the most responsible prison attendant that the prison warden never had, which is why he gained influence. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, he was the best servant he ever had. Joseph worshiped and he worked in the waiting. And I think you and I can do the very same thing in our life. We can worship and work in the waiting. When Joseph saw the cupbearer and the baker, I skimmed over this pretty quickly, but 
Notice he, he went up to him and he said, hey, why are you so dejected? Why are you so sad today? Now, I don't know about for you, but if I'm in prison for something that I didn't even do, I'm gonna be like, hey, why are you sad? You're in here for, for things you did. Like you deserve to be here, bro. I should be the one sad. I should be the one feeling dejected and discouraged, not you. But Joseph goes up to these two guys and he's like, hey man, why, why are you so down? Like, are you all right? Joseph cared about people. And listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I know you don't wanna be single for most of you. I know you're tired of it. I know you're over it. I know you're waiting. You're done waiting for that person. Like you're like, Matt, I don't wanna be single anymore. I'm done waiting. But can I just propose to you that, that singleness is a gift now listen, before you shut me off, before you just say like, dude, just be quiet. Can I just say this? Let's just hear me out just for a second. Here's why I say singleness is a gift. Because you will never have more time in your life. I know you're busy. I'm not trying to say you're not busy. But listen, as a married man, as a married man with kids, like there are certain things that I can't do that I could do when I was single. I love being married. I love being a dad. But when you're single, you have the freedom to be able to pick up and go do things, to be able to go serve people, to be able to say yes to things. What if you viewed this season of singleness as a gift and said, man, I'm gonna make the most of this season. I'm gonna allow God to work on me in this season to help me become the person that I need to become. I know you're, you're tired of waiting tables. Like you're over it. You don't wanna wait tables anymore. You're like, Matt, I, just, I don't wanna do this job, but what if you said, hey, in this season, God wants to do something in me. He wants to prepare me for whatever, wherever it is he, he wants to lead me. And what if you said, I'm going to be the absolute best waiter or waitress that I can possibly be. And I'm going to make every person that I interact with, I'm gonna make this the best experience of their day. Like I'm gonna try to make every person feel valued. I'm gonna try to encourage every single person I see. I, I know you're tired of going to class. I hear it all the time man, I'm just, I'm tired of school. I'm ready for break. I get it. Who, who likes listening to lectures and doing homework and writing papers and then getting grades that you don't feel great about? Some of you don't know what that's like. I definitely know what that's like. And you're like, I, I don't like this. I'm over it. I get it. I'm in school right now. I'm in seminary right now. And there are times I'm learning about God. I'm learning about the Bible. But there are times where I would say to you, I, I'm over it. I don't wanna go to class anymore. I don't wanna listen to this lecture. I don't wanna write this paper that's due tomorrow night at midnight. Literally, that's, that's what I'm saying right now. Like I have a paper due tomorrow night at midnight. I don't really wanna write it. But hey, we gotta stop saying that. It's okay to feel that way. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't feel that way. But do you know how many people would be so grateful to be able to be in class? You know how many people would be grateful to get an education, especially a college education? What if we shifted our perspective and said, no, I'm gonna believe and trust that God's working in me right now. Because in the waiting, hear me on this, in the waiting, if you're taking notes, write this down. In the waiting, God is working. In the waiting, God is working. We live in a generation that is the microwave generation. We want everything immediately. Like we're the generation that burns our mouth on a hot pocket. We, we heat up a hot pocket for 30 seconds and we can't even wait 30 more seconds for it to cool off. Like we bite in, we're like, oh, I burned my mouth. Like you couldn't wait a minute for your meal to be made. 
We live in a microwave generation. We want everything instantaneously. But can I tell you, God doesn't tend to work like that. The way God works is more like a crock pot. Like we want, want crock pot relationships using a microwave. We want a crock pot career using a microwave. We want a crock pot character using a microwave. We want a crock pot faith using a microwave. But God doesn't do his best work in a microwave. He does his best work in a crock pot. It takes time. There is a process. Listen, next week, we're gonna talk about how Joseph eventually gets to the palace. He gets to where God was ultimately leading him. He gets to the glory. He gets to, to, to the spot where he finally sees it. why he went through all of this. But the road to the palace was through the pit in the prison. The road to the palace was through the pit in the prison. God used the pit in the prison to prepare Joseph for where he was leading him. And God will do the same thing in your life. A wait time doesn't have to be a waste of time. In your life and my life, a wait time does not have to be a waste of time. The only way a waiting time is a waste of time is if you're so focused on what's next, what you hope will come, what you wanna see happen, that you fail to see what God is doing in the here and now. That's the only way that a waiting time is a waste of time, is if you're just so focused on what's next that you completely miss out on what's right now, right in front of you. And listen, college is a season of life where you are preparing for things to come. You're looking ahead at things to come. People are constantly saying to you, hey, what's your plan? What's next? What are you looking at? And it can be hard to not focus solely on what's next. But I'm telling you, if you just focus on what's next, you're gonna miss out on the here and now. And this waiting time is maybe actually gonna feel like and maybe actually be a waste of time. But a wait time is not a waste of time if you say, hey, I am looking at what's next. I'm preparing for what's to come. But man, I am gonna be focused on the here and now because I believe that God is working in the waiting. I wanna, I wanna close tonight with, with, with this. Uh, Paul mentioned that this has been a tough week for, for our family. And two people, some of you might know well, um, passed away tragically. Grant Godby and Mary Drayton, his wife. And Grant and MD are two of the, the best people I've ever interacted with. And last Monday, when we had an amazing night here at the living room, at the end of the night, Grant and MD and everyone that was on the stage and everyone that was part of the production team, they all stayed. Like we ended the stream and then right at the end of the night, everyone stayed in this room. And the reason why they stayed in this room is because there's this ministry out in San Bernardino, California that, that is going through a tough time. It's this ministry that serves underprivileged teenagers. And this ministry said, hey, is there any way you guys could record a special worship set just for us? It would really help us, it would really encourage us. And so the whole crew said, yeah, absolutely. They did it for completely for free, didn't get paid anything for it. And so they all stay, they're tired, they just worship their hearts out and they all stayed and they did the exact same worship set again with just as much passion, with just as much anointing. It was amazing. I stood in here and I worshiped again for the next 20 or 25 minutes with them. 
And at the end of it, they all got together on this stage and they got in a big circle and they all prayed that this worship would encourage this ministry out in California. And they all thanked God for this night. In fact, I got up here on the stage because I was so mind blown in awe of what I had just seen and experienced. I got up here on this stage and I snapped a picture. In fact, I wanna throw the picture up on the screen just for a second. Check this out. The two people in the back here, behind the girl with the two hands, Maddie, two people right behind her, over her right shoulder, that's Grant and MD. Grant laying down on his back, exhausted in the best way possible. And MD, his wife right next to him, with her palms up, surrendering to Jesus. And here's what I wanna say about that. Grant was on stage that night, pouring out his heart to Jesus, worshiping with Jesus with everything he's got. And MD was in the back, running lyrics, making sure everything goes smooth. That was last Monday. Tonight, both of them were supposed to be here serving on their one year anniversary. And here's what I know to be true and what I have faith in, that tonight, Grant and MD, or in heaven, worshiping Jesus face to face. Last week, last Monday, they're here on this stage worshiping Jesus here on this earth with everything that they got. A week later, they're in heaven and they're worshiping Jesus face to face. Just a couple weeks ago, I remember having a conversation in the back of this room here at Buckhead Church with Grant and Grant was telling me about some things that he was looking forward to, some things that he was hoping would come. He was telling me that he was in a season of waiting but can I tell you what Grant and MD both did while they were in a season of waiting? They worshiped and they worked. They worshiped God with every aspect of their lives and they worked, they did what they could do. They allowed God to work on their lives. And, and here's the challenge that I wanna give to you tonight. For some of you, you need to know that there's hope for you. You know why Grant and MD were so willing to worship and work because they knew who they were worshiping. They knew who they were ultimately working for. For some of you, you aren't just waiting for a job. You're waiting for something that's gonna give you fulfillment. For some of you, you're not just waiting for a relationship. No, you're waiting to try to find hope for your future. I can't guarantee you that all the circumstances in your life are gonna work out just the way you wanted them to. I can't guarantee you that the weight is gonna ultimately lead you to your dream job or that the weight is gonna lead you to find the perfect husband or the perfect wife. I can't guarantee you any of that, but here's what I can tell you. The weight when it comes to hope, the weight when it comes to peace, the weight when it comes to purpose, the weight when it comes to all the things that you're ultimately looking for in, in your life, the weight is over. You can call it off because it's already here. It's a person named Jesus. Grant and MD understood that. And there's someone tuning in tonight that you can finally breathe and say, I don't have to wait anymore. Jesus, you're it. I, I found what I'm looking for. And maybe you're saying, well, how? How does that happen, Matt? It happens really simple. You just say, Jesus, I wanna put my faith and trust in you. 
I believe that you died for my sins and you rose victorious so that I could have life here and now so that I don't have to keep waiting and keep searching for the things that I'm ultimately looking for in life, but I can know my identity. I can know my purpose. I can know where peace is found. I can know that when everything else in this world is spinning out of control, I can still worship. I can still say that you're good. How could these people on stage tonight sing those words in the midst of so much heartbreak, in the midst of a tragedy? Because they know where their hope is found. And so tonight, as we close, I wanna give someone the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. And here's what's cool. If Grant and MD were in this room tonight, I know for a fact that they'd be ready to celebrate and lose their minds in this moment. That whoever put their faith in Jesus, they, Grant would have been right behind me. He would have been cheering. I would have been hearing him clapping right behind me. MD would have been in the back. I would have seen her putting her hands up rejoicing. But I trust that tonight they're in heaven with Jesus and they are ready to hear all of heaven rejoice. The scripture says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner turning towards Jesus. And I believe tonight that there is someone tuning in who is about to turn and put their faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. And all of heaven is gonna rejoice and Grant and MD are gonna get to experience it. And they're gonna say, guys, I wish you could experience this. There's nothing like this. Keep going, keep worshiping, keep working, keep following him. Keep trusting him. Jesus is real. So if that's you tonight, I just want you to say this prayer with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. And I'm choosing to place my faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And I wanna follow Jesus from this day forward the best way that I know how. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm, I'm gonna open up the chat right now and I don't know who you are, but if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm just gonna invite you I'm just gonna invite you to, um, to put a live in the chat. Just put a live in the chat right now, if that was you. For the first time in your life, you just put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm gonna give it a moment. Our team wants to celebrate with you. also text live to 89800. Our team will respond to you. We wanna celebrate with you. I'm believing that even if we don't see it right now, that there's someone tuning in right now, there's someone tuning in on the playback who is putting their faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. I'm believing that God redeems all things for good and that even this tragedy, God can redeem it for triumph. And so the the invitation's on the table for you to put your trust in Jesus, to say, Jesus, you're my Lord. So Heavenly Father, tonight we just praise you. 
I thank you for this community, for this family. God, I believe that there are people tuning in tonight who are finding faith in you, they're finding hope in you, they're finding life in you. And God, would you continue to encourage our souls, even as we walk through tough times in life, even as things sometimes seem crazy in our country and unsure, uncertain, God, would you remind us that you're in control. And Lord, we thank you in advance for all the things that you're going to do, the way that you move. We know that you're always working. Even in the waiting, you're working and you're good. And it's who you are, Jesus. It's who you are. It's in your mighty, mighty name we pray tonight. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at The Living Room ATL. Remember, TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.